Listening Dog Media. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. The Offside Rule with Lindsay Heeper and Natasha Dowie, promoting women's football since 2013. The Offside Rule is back. About time. I hear some of you shout wherever you're listening to this podcast. Um, We are focusing on all women's football from now on. Now, in the summer, you will have heard some of our World Cup specials with Sky Sports covering the World Cup out in Australia and New Zealand. And a regular voice on those shows was Tash Dowie. And she joins me again for this brand new series. Tash, hello. (laughs) Good to be back. It's so great to have us doing a show again together. Um, I think a lot has happened, certainly for you, since last summer. Not long after we finished all of those World Cup shows, you announced your retirement. So what's been going on since? Yeah, busier than ever. Yeah, who would have thought retirement was harder than being a football player? But yeah, made the decision to hang up the boots. Massive decision, but one that, you know, looking back on my career, very proud of. And now I'm an ambassador of Liverpool Football Club, which is a dream come true. I've been really busy getting involved, mentoring at the Men's Academy with the under-18 boys, obviously doing my work at LFC TV, which is great. My match day appearances have been getting to travel the world as well. was recently over in Bangkok and Dubai. Meeting I wish I had your air there. miles. I really do. <laughs> <laughs> but no, honestly, Lindsay, I feel like I'm just living the dream and feel very lucky to do what I'm doing, but also it's a really nice transition for me. It's definitely made uh, the retirement side of things a lot easier because I still feel like I'm heavily involved in the game. So yeah, long may it continue. Whilst you were doing that deliberating about retiring or not retiring, we were having our very own one on the offside rule because we've been going for 10 years, Tash, and I know that you listened to us very early doors and we spoke to you in those early years that we were doing the show. But really, it was mission accomplished for Kate and I for for many of the, the goals that we set. When we covered the World Cup in Canada, went out to France, were covering the Lionesses for a long time before any major success, really. And... You see what happened since the Euro win and suddenly there were shows popping up left, right and centre covering the WSL in great depth with lots of backing as well and money behind them. And we just thought, well, maybe the show has has served its time. And we had a lot of pour out from, from people saying, come on, we'd love to see the offside rule continue. And what we've done is we've come up with a show that we think can push the agenda further. That's what we've always wanted to do on the offside rule is try and address the things that aren't being spoken about. So by doing that, what we want to do is talk about the women's pyramid. We're going to look abroad. It isn't going to be just WSL focused, but we're going to use it, Tasha's expertise. We're going to get you, the listener, heavily involved with the show as well. And hopefully we can make something completely completely different and try to address some of the gaps that still exist. So to give you a slight rundown, each week we're going to reflect on three standout matches. So Tash, like for instance this week, you've chosen two matches, one from WSL, one from abroad for you, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I have. I've gone for the West Ham shock result or shock win against Arsenal. And then I'm also going to touch on the Roma versus Juventus game. And I've gone for one from the championship because in the race for the title there in the second tier, there was a big game between Southampton and Crystal Palace. So I've chosen that one. So every week we'll get three standout matches that we'll dissect. We also have an in the spotlight section. We're going to use that to shine a light on some issues or personalities within women's football that you maybe not have met yet. There'll be interviews, discussions, thought provoking conversations as well. This week we're discussing pathways to the first team. We've got West Ham's Melfi 
Phyllis, who's on loan at Charlton in the Championship, talking to us. But also, we're going to hear from England captain and Arsenal player Leah Williamson, who's back from her ACL injury. She was on Siemens Says, David Siemens podcast this week. And I managed to grab a few words with her, so we'll get her take on the player pathway too. Um, I'm going to interject straight away, Tash, here and ask you about your own journey. How, How quickly did it take you to get to the first team? It was tough, you know, definitely in my earlier years, the opportunities to play at school weren't there. You know, I wasn't allowed to play in primary school or secondary school. So it was really down to my dad, to be honest, and and obviously my family connection within the football game. He got a couple of my friends and we just used to have a kickabout in the local park. And and then we created the Harpen and Colts now, which is actually now the biggest grassroots girls football team in the whole of England, which, you know, is something I'm really proud of. And then from there, that's when I got scouted by Watford, which was obviously a bigger team in the Hertfordshire area and got into the centre of excellence there. And I think I made my first team debut for the Watford women's team when I was 15. So it was definitely harder, but the opportunities, I think, were maybe slightly easier because of, you know, there was no international players, you know, playing in the leagues at that time. So I definitely think it's harder now for the younger English talent to, to get that opportunity because of, you know, the pulling power of the WSL. We are going to speak about that in more detail then later on. We're also going to round off every show with Tash's scouting report. I joked about the air miles. It is no joke. I mean, how many teams and how many countries have you have you played for? Yeah, played 14 in? teams, 14 yeah. teams, six different countries. So I'm like a gypsy, aren't I? So I've got my contacts. So we would definitely be making the most of those. So the idea here is that you're going to save lots of scouting departments in England, a lot of time and effort. You're going to highlight one young emerging talent. It can be from around the globe uh, for us to look out for in the future. I also think that we have these bookends of transfer windows. So it's always good for us to have some names that we can put forward during those times. So future stars of WSL, maybe. We might be doing the scouting here on the Offside Rule. Uh, that's what to expect every Tuesday. And then every Friday, we will have our mailbag feature as well, where you can get anything off your chest. You can ask us a question, air your opinion. I'll bring you more on that a bit later on. Um, but I think there is a, a real chasm when it comes to being able to have a football phone in for women's football. They just don't exist. So we want to address that. We will start, though, this week with our three standout games from the weekend. The Offside Rule. Women's football unlocked. Straight into it then, Tash. You chose West Ham against Arsenal, clearly because this is a huge upset in the title race. First of all, your impressions on the performance from both teams. I mean, I don't think anyone saw this coming. You know, Arsenal had been in good form, were definitely fighting for the title or wanting to be there and thereabouts. You kind of saw them as probably Chelsea's biggest challengers. But credit to West Ham, who have, have been struggling this season. But since their January summer signings, I think they've had, you know, they've won the last two games. I think the likes of your Gorries, your Muis, Zadorski, these are international superstars, you know, players that play for their national team. You know, so for West Ham to do that type of business in the January transfer window, I think firstly will save them and definitely keep them up in the WSL, but also will allow them to have a really second, strong second half of the season. But for Arsenal, I think that, you know, you look at the stats and I had to say the stats, I'm not a massive stats person, but 67% possession compared to West Ham, 23 goal attempts compared to West Ham's four, shots off goal, which I think is the big issue, 18 shots off goal compared to West Ham's two, dangerous attacks, 106 compared to West Ham's 32. And I think if you compare Arsenal, and you're going to have to compare Arsenal to the likes of your Chelsea's and your City's at the moment, 
I think the biggest issue right now is is the goals, truthfully. I think Russo coming in this season was a massive signing for them. And let's be honest, she probably hasn't hit the ground running with regards to the goals that she's brought this season for Arsenal. I'm not saying her performances haven't been up to scratch, but if you compare, for instance, Bunny Shaw, 13 goals. Lauren James, 12 goals. Russo, five goals. That's a massive drop-off, you know, and, and Russo's the top goal scorer for Arsenal this season. So I think that's probably why they aren't up there now, challenging. I think that's the same for United as well. I don't think they have that real ruthless goal scorer. Um, but credit to West Ham. I spoke to Emma Harris, who was my ex-teammate at Reading, and and asked her her thoughts of the game as well. And she said, look, they dug in. You know, they defended so hard. I believe there was an error from the goalkeeper, and I think that's been a problem for Arsenal as well. I don't think Zinsberg is a, a top, top keeper, in my opinion. And I think for the second goal, it was an error. She mm. should have punched it out better. But credit to West Ham, they capitalised on that. Um, but yeah, it, I think for me now, the title's over for Arsenal because I just think Chelsea are too good. You can't afford it early. to drop points. Yeah, I have because you can't afford to. It's like in the men's game. You know, you drop points, City are going to punish you. And I think Chelsea are that good. And with bringing in Ramirez as well, who looks like, you know, next level talent. <laughs> yeah, I just think that the gap now is too big. Well, you mentioned the goal difference. And if you look at the table now, Chelsea top, their goal difference is 29. They're on 34 points. Man City, 27 goal difference. So only two goals behind them. They're on 31 points. And then Arsenal, it is a huge drop. They've got 16 goal difference. They're now on 28 points. And you're right. The, I think the, the goal scoring, being clinical in front of goal, has been the problem for them. When you speak about Alessia Russo, is that because she's occupying some positions that other players are occupying and it's not quite clicked yet? You know, I, I feel like everyone knows that Bunny Shaw's the outlet for Man City. She'll hold the ball up, she'll lay it off. She's a clinical finisher. And then Chelsea, Lauren James has got that individual creativity, flair, quality that I don't think any other side have got in their team. I mean, she is just something else with what she can do. So for Arsenal, have they lost something up front, do you think? Yeah, no, I think you're spot on there. And I think with Russo at United, she was that out-and-out out number nine you know, she knows she knew her role there. You know, the first person that people on that team were looking for was Russo. You know, she was their star player. And I think when you potentially go to maybe a bigger club with maybe bigger personnel or, or more superstar names, I'm not saying then her importance maybe, you know, is kind of like shadowed, but I feel like potentially other people are looking for your Miedemars, your Fords, your Beth Meads and I think potentially then kind of her importance isn't as big. Um, I think also we know that she loves to run channels. You know, she's not a typical in the box, you know, bunny shore, you know, get on the ends of headers, crosses type of number nine. She likes to drift. She likes to drop in deep sometimes. But I do think, you know, she is a goal scorer. And for me, with the players at Arsenal have got, like your Meads, like your Caitlin Fords, um, you know, McCabe's, Get in the box, you know. Mm. I just think, you know, you're a goal scorer. And if I was a number nine in that Arsenal team, you know, I would really look to focus to stay inside that area. Don't travel outside the width of the 18-yard box. You know, focus on being that central pivotal point for Arsenal and let the other players deliver and supply. You've got your Kim Littles. You've got those creative players behind you. So maybe she's doing too much because of the pressure that she had coming to Arsenal, you know. And I think... Maybe, yeah, she's trying to almost do too much rather than focusing on what are my strengths. But it will come. It really will come. But I think maybe the connection has taken longer than maybe Arsenal 
would have hoped. And now their main focus will be they've got to make Champions League. In the games that I've watched, I must admit she has been quality, Alessia Russo, but it's the work that she's doing off the ball. I mean, she's provided brilliant passes into the box, but you sort of want her providing the pass and being on the end of it. So she can't be in two places at once. So I understand what you mean. She's going to have to make a choice, I think, at some point. But also maybe she's going to have to trust some of her fellow midfielders to get in on the act when it comes to scoring as well, because that's something that you would look at that Arsenal team and think, well, they've got goal scorers all over the pitch. They need to be providing that. And I think Beth Mead suddenly coming back to the side, Viv Miedemar, they might have a really good end of the season, but it is going to be tough, I think, when when City and Chelsea look so strong. Um, Let's just quickly end with West Ham before we move on to the next game, because when a team like that wins, I don't want us just to talk about Arsenal. I think they've made some really good signings, as you've already alluded to, and... At one point, I think they were there were lots of people thinking they could be dragged down to the championship this season because Bristol City were giving it a really good fight. But do you think they've done enough now to stay in the league? You, you more or less said yeah, that earlier. absolutely. I think well done to Rianne Skinner because it's not easy attracting players when you're down the bottom half of the table. You know, players don't want to go to struggling teams, you know, in the WSL. And I think if you look at the likes of your Gorries and Muses, this isn't, you know, these aren't nobodies or players that, you know, are playing at average clubs. These are big names, you know, with big pulling power. So I think they've been really clever with who they've brought in. Gori for me is is a terrific midfield player. I know she's probably a mature player, let's say, and so is Mewish, you know, into their 30s. But they've still got legs. They've still got energy. They've got experience. Gori is that all-round midfield player, the hard tackling, does the nasty work. But she also has that quality on set pieces, you know, that kind of, specialist with regards to that area. Mewis as well, again, I think she's building up her fitness. You can see she hasn't been starting the games, but the impact that she has, again, set-piece specialist, wand of a left foot, has played at some of the, the biggest teams, you know, in the world and knows what it takes to win, has that kind of American winning mentality, which I think is important. And Zadorsky as well. Mm. I think experience is so important right now come this part of the season. And I think with those three in particular, the experience is vast. So absolutely credit to West Ham, you know, and I really do think now that they're going to finish the the season really strong. Um, so yeah, credit to them. And, you know, I think January transfer window, they are the ones that have done the smartest business. Well, that win has moved them up to ninth, although there are three teams all joint with 11 points. It's their goal difference that puts them atop of that pile. So they're ninth with a goal difference of minus 12 on 11. And Everton and Brighton also have 11 points, but with goal differences of minus 15 and minus 16, respectively. Bristol City on six points at the foot of the table. Feels like they've been cut more adrift after those results. Um, Into the the championship and the battle to come into WSL is really heating up. Um, anyone who was looking at the fixture list this weekend would have seen Southampton against Palace. Palace have slowly just been going through the gears in this season. And I think this was a real surprise result. It was Southampton 1, Palace 2. And because it was Southampton at home for this one, Tash, um, I think many people thought that Saints under Marianne Spacey Kale would have been okay in this match, but they were very nervy, I felt. They showed uh, a lot of hesitancy, made quite a few mistakes, giving the ball away to Palace. The win means that they've now, uh, Palace, leapfrogged into third place. And do you think the momentum is with them at the moment? Yeah, I think Palace have done some good transfer business as well in the January transfer, bringing in the likes of Rhea Percival from Spurs. That's a great mm, signing. Loads yeah. of experience. Izzy Atkinson from West Ham. You know, if you actually look at the head-to-heads between these two teams, they've actually both, 
I think Saints have won three, Palace have won two out of the last five. But I think the big thing right now is Elise Hughes, 14 goals in 14 games. You know, that that's impressive stats. Mm. You know, someone that's in really good form. And I think finding a goal scorer is tough in women's football full stop. You know, and I think that's why probably you can tell the top teams you know, why they're doing so well because they have those prolific goal scorers in the likes of your Bunny Shaws, Lauren Jameses, those top, top players. So in the championship right now, I think your Elise Hughes, that's going to be key, you know, if Palace are going to want to get promoted is that you've got someone firing on all cylinders and she is and that's probably why they came away yesterday, you know, with obviously the three points and but Southampton have got some good players as well. You know, they'll still be there and thereabouts. I think Marianne Spacey's a top manager, been there, done it as a player, you know, she'll know what it takes, but it's really exciting the championship. If you see the teams up there, I think it's great to see so many competing to get promoted. Maybe in the past couple of years, you know, it's been a bit too easy for one or two teams. Whereas mm. now you've got five or six teams down there really fighting to get promoted. I agree with you about Rhea Percival and that signing. She hit the post. So Elise Hughes scoring here, it was all about her reading of the game because Rhea Percival had done all of the hard work, hit the post, and Elise Hughes was there to have the easiest of tap-ins. But it's that reading, isn't it? Knowing that you're going to be there to follow up. She could have just thought, oh, she's going to score and not have not have actually anticipated what was going to happen there. But when you talk about quality, I think there were nerves from Southampton. And when they'd gone, I thought in the second half, they played with a lot more flow and the free kick routine that saw Lucia Kendall um, score from. Oh my word, what a free kick. I mean, and, and also to get on the end of it, it was a beautiful goal, um, one that would sit beautifully as well in the WSL. They are going to be fighting still, but I think that they will be licking their wounds this week. I think this was an opportunity for them to stake a, a better claim on the title and Palace have gone and caused the upset. But um, in the championship, I think that title race could go right down to the wire. Looking abroad then, Tash, uh, you've gone for a third match, third standout game, and it was in Italy where you once played. Now, just explain the setup here in terms of what the league is like in Italy, because as far as I'm aware, with my limited knowledge of following and probably following you a little bit, Juventus, since they formed, pretty much won the title every year. Roma won last season and have had this blistering start to defending their title. So just fill us in on the state of the league and, and where the money and where the investment is. Yeah, so I was at AC Milan a couple of seasons ago and the league was actually semi-pro at the time. So it's only actually recently in the last year gone professional. So I think that says a lot. But the standard was I was really impressed with. But you had you Juventuses who had won the league, you're correct, five years in a row, dominated the Italian league. When I signed for Milan, we finished second in the league. So we were the team pushing uh, Juventus. We made Champions League spot. But there were teams that you could feel were were slowly investing. You're into Milan, your Romas, Fiorentinas, you know, those clubs then, Sassuolo's. And I thought, okay, you know, in a couple of years' time, there's going to be teams now pushing Juventus. And I think, truthfully, Juventus have stood still. You know, they've I think they've maybe been a little bit complacent with their success over the years, haven't freshened the squad up. It's been very similar squad for really the last five or six years. And then all of a sudden, Roma have come into the frame, you know, been signing some big, big players, you know, from the likes of Bayern Munich, you know, Jacinti, one of my uh, strike partners at AC Milan, who's a prolific goal scorer. She went there, you know, they've got the likes of Vaines, the Canadian wide player, Harvey, um, the Norwegian wide player who I played with at Boston Breakers. 
And I think you can see well, with regards to their Champions League success and how well they've done progressing through to the latter stages that they really are a team now in women's football that I think are going to take the next step. And Juventus, they need to do something come this summer because if not, it's going to be a kind of role reverse. I think now Roma are going to be dominating uh, the league over there. And you can see that, you know, it's very comfortable at the moment. They're first with 42 points. Juventus are second with 34. You know, that's a big drop-off. Mm. Um, and that result at the weekend, so it, it was Roma 3, yep. Juventus 1. Yes. And picking up on something, Juventus might be suffering a little bit from whatever Arsenal is suffering from because picking up on some of your stats, I noticed that for Roma, they only, they had 15 shots, nine of which were on target. So way more than half, they're managing to be on target. Juventus, 23 shots, only six on target. So they actually made more chances. They just weren't clinical with them. Yep, you're spot on. And I think, again, you and they've got big players, Girelli, Bierenstein, Thomas, you know, Caruso. So they've got the players there, but it's just right now maybe not clicking, whether it's confidence levels, they're not used to not winning, you know, this whole dominance now with the Roma team. Um, so it's going to be fascinating. I think probably as well, Roma getting knocked out of the Champions League was almost like they had a bit of anger in them. Um, so that probably also gives them that little lift that they needed. But it's going mm. to be fascinating to see, you know, how the Italian league keeps developing. Um, because like I said, there's so many teams now and players that are wanting to go over and play in Italy. Um, I mean, it's great to see, you know, because it was a great league. I really enjoyed my time playing over there, but it was heavily dominated by Juventus. And so now it's great within two years to see that the tables really flipped and turned and you have a good five or six teams now competing uh, with the likes of your Romas. So yeah, that was a great game. Roma came away, like you said, 3-1. Uh, Giuliano got a penalty. Vines, who's in great form, she's got seven goals this season for them. Um, and then Lenari, their centre half, who's got seven goals for them as well, the Italian centre half. So again, all players chipping in with goals from different areas of the pitch, which is really important. Great pick from you, that one. And we will be dipping into the Italian league every now and again for different fixtures when we pick them out as our standout games. Um, faultless so far for them for Roma. 15 points from five matches. Their goal difference plus 17. They have made quite the statement already in that league. Let's move on to our feature in the spotlight. The Offside Rule with Lindsay Heeper and Natasha Dowie. So Tash, unfortunately, you had to miss this interview with Mel Phyllis, which we're about to play out. Um, the idea being that we're going to explore the pathways to first teams. You've already explained at the top of the show what your pathway was like. But I think in recent seasons with the growth of WSL, the attraction for players to come to England from all over the world, it is starting to change beyond recognition. It's something that the men's game went through with the advent of the Premier League. I think we're just having to get used to that in the women's game as well now. And Mel's a really good person to speak to about this. I don't know how well you know Mel Phyllis, but she was at the Arsenal Academy, went on loan to London Bees, um, and then is now on loan at Charlton, who are top of the championship from West Ham, who were flirting with relegation, but after that result at the, the weekend, you'd think they might be okay now with Rianne Skinner at the helm. Whether she'll go back to, to West Ham, I don't know, but just some initial thoughts from you about the change of landscape in the women's game when it comes to trying to get that that chance to get minutes in the first team. Yeah, it's tough, you know, and people always say to me, would you want to be 15, 20 years younger and, and be in the shoes of, of some of these players nowadays? And there's so many pros, but also I think there are a few cons because the pressure now on these players, you know, the the expectation, the media attention, 
like you said, the actual opportunity to break in, you know, it's tough because it's a it's a winning business. You know, managers have to get results. And I think definitely the teams higher up the table have the money to actually say, right, we can go and get the best players around the world. Do we really want to invest in our youth team and and, and maybe risk that or do we go for the best? You know, and I think probably your mid-table to to maybe bottom table teams might give their their youth players more of an opportunity because they don't have financially the money or the backing to go out and get some of the top players. So I think that's where they might get their opportunity and chance. But it's getting harder and harder. It really is. More people want to come and play in the WSL. And for the younger talent, the opportunity to kind of showcase themselves is tough. And I've seen it a lot now, even at Liverpool, a lot of the under-21s players who maybe aren't getting opportunity to get into the first team are actually going out on loan. And I work mm-hmm. closely with a, a tier three team, a local team called the Liverpool Feds, who financially can't pay their players at all. You know, some I think they only recently stopped actually play, uh, paying to play. But some of these under 21 players are going out on loan. They're getting minutes, they're getting t- game time. And actually their development has been really quite powerful. And I've had feedback from the Liverpool under 21s manager this saying, how they've developed so much just through playing. So I think the opportunity to maybe go out on loan and play in lower divisions to then maybe come back, but it's that step up to the first team. You know, you'll hear it later on in the interview with Leah Williamson, but it is getting harder and harder and harder. Um, Yeah, and you want to see the talent. You want to see the English talent coming through, but this is the industry we're in. It's the same in the men's game, you know, and, and it's happening now in the women's game. Well, let's let you listen in to Mel Phyllis and what she had to say and we will come back because we did manage to be fortunate enough to get a word from Leah Williamson as well. Mel, great to see you. We have met a few times before. For this section of the show, I want to talk about pathways to the first team. So would you be able to tell us your pathway to the West Ham first team? Yeah, of course. Um, So I actually spent kind of my last few years in the the youth system at Arsenal. Um, So... I think I was 16 when I got called in for my first training session with the first team there. Um, So I spent kind of just under two years training up with Arsenal first team. Um, And that was kind of my first bit of exposure to senior football. And then after that, I went and did a year in the championship with London Bees uh, to get some minutes under my belt. And then from then in January, West Ham came in for me. So I'd done six months in the champ and... West Ham showed interest in January, but then I wasn't able to sign uh, until the summer. Um, so first professional contract was with West Ham. I signed that when I was 18. Um, so obviously that's slightly, slightly different to just training with first team when you're actually a contracted player and, and kind of there to compete and, and get minutes, really. Yeah, I, I mean, I even described it as the word pathway, but... Did it even feel like that was what existed when you were looking through the academy systems? Because it feels like the landscape of women's footballs changed quite quickly. I think certainly in WSL, when you were playing with West Ham, you will have seen the influx of foreign players that we've started getting in. Uh, does it feel like the pathway to the first team is the sa- same as it once was? Or do you think it's changing? I think it's getting harder. I think there's a real fine line between kind of being a squad player in the first team because obviously we've got at West Ham as well there's a few young players um, who are kind of on the brink of being a squad player but not quite in a position to kind of get minutes and and be on the pitch to compete with the first team so I feel like at the minute there's this kind of bit of like needing to bridge the gap 
So that's part of the reason I actually left Arsenal because the situation was that you're holding the training standard really well um, with the first team there, but in terms of kind of game experience and match minutes and and that side of things, you've really got to go elsewhere to then try and come back and and push again in in that similar environment. So I definitely think the pathway's there. One thing I learned was that I don't feel as though academies necessarily prepare their players well enough for first team football. And what I mean by that is it wasn't necessarily the football side of it, the technical, the tactical. It was more so like the mentality and um, in a way kind of the difference between youth football and development to like pure just winning games. Like everything's about winning, team selection, like it's not about rotating players so that people can develop. Like it's a completely different ball game in terms of that. So that was something I found quite Mm. hard to adjust to early on. And how does that loan system work? Because the professionalisation in the women's game hasn't been there that long. I imagine they're still finding their feet because the contracts in women's football as well haven't been for for X amount of years for, for a while. You know, it used to be on a one-year basis and now we're starting to see two, three. I don't even know whether we're getting to, to more than three-year contracts. I, I think everyone keeps that quite close to their chest at club level. But... From the loan system, how do you feel it works between the WSL and the championship and the communication between the clubs? Yeah, so obviously um, the first bit for me was trying to kind of see which clubs were interested and also see where would be the best fit. Um, So I spoke a lot with kind of Rianne and and the GM as well around where would potentially be an option for me. Um, and in terms of playing style and, and the type of football I want to play myself, I felt like Charlton was a was a good option. Um, so then really we just had conversation. I had conversations with Karen on the phone um, and kept West Ham in the loop with things. And then when we decided to proceed on that, both both teams kind of agree on um, how to go about it. And, and that's it really. So six months I'm locked into that and I'm going to get as much game time as I can. And then we'll... Uh, come back to discussions again in summer. Mel, thank you so much for joining us and giving us that insight into pathways and and how it is getting into WSL first team sides. Um, Hopefully it helps other people and lots of people wanting to follow in your footsteps. Definitely. No, thank you for having me. I appreciate your time as well. And um, yeah, it was really good to come on. Really interesting stuff there. And, and we'll come back to it because I think, first of all, let's let's hear what Leah Williamson had to say. She was on David Seaman's podcast, Seaman Says, this week. And I managed to get a question in with her about the pathways. And, and her point was, was just doubling down on this. We have got the offside rule returning actually this week. And one of the discussion points, Leah, is about pathways to the first team. So I, I spoke to Mel Phyllis, who was, she's on loan from West Ham to Charlton. And she started with the Arsenal Academy, has been out on loan. You haven't had that loan experience because it's all been Arsenal for you. But I wondered yeah. if you had your time right now, do you think your pathway to the first team would be, this, would be similar or is it going to be completely different for those coming through? I think if I did, yeah, the sta- the standard and how attractive the women's league is, especially in England, like the players that are coming over, um, that that young English talent that maybe would have got a chance like I did, just probably won't anymore. Um, I mean, I got my shot in the first team because I there was a, a quite a few players left, and then there was injuries, and I remember I know why because Casey Stoney 
um, at the time she was at Arsenal, she went to the manager. We didn't have, we needed a centre half. And she said, oh, I've seen Leah play at under 17 England centre half. And I was a midfielder, but she said she can do it. I couldn't, is the answer to that at the time. And I, <laughs> I had to fail. I also think it's really, it could have sent me one or two ways because I had to fail on the sta- on the big stage. Like those are the mistakes I should have been making in a protected environment almost. Um, and I didn't really have that luxury. But, you know, maybe I'm different in terms of, taken too too many hits and still carrying on going but I do think it would be different now because I just don't think at the time the quality in the first team wasn't where it is now and I just think it's so hard to get in when you've got international players you know almost everybody here plays for their country so if you're a young player coming up and you're not you're not playing international football at the highest level then naturally there's going to be a separation Um, but I also just would want to play football like if I look at the kids now I'm like I hope that there's more loan situations because before people used to leave and now there is options to go on loan and because the the game's maturing, so to speak. I would absolutely go on loan and come back, you know, if, if that's what's best for you. So really, Tash, coming back to, to the start of this conversation, the loan window looks like it's going to get busier and busier going forwards. So I guess there's also... A managing expectation within clubs now when, when you've got really talented academy players the likelihood is most of these are going to have to go out on loan yeah absolutely but I think you've seen it and I think it's quite positive you look at the likes of I can only talk about Liverpool so you look at Lucy Parry for instance the fullback the young girl who went away to Hibberdeen in Scotland played over there last year on loan had a really good season Matt Beard brought her back and now she's been getting a few minutes for the first team at still a young age um, you know, you look at Beaver Jones at Chelsea, you know, gone yeah. away, got yeah. her time at Everton, had a good season, you know, potentially does does Emma Hayes bring her back? You know, it's it's a big club, but she did. You know, she comes back, she's been scoring goals. So I think there definitely is that pathway of actually when you do get on go on loan, you can come back. It's not a case of you're going on loan because you're not good enough and we're not interested in you. I think you can see a lot of cases happening where it is just about, okay, we can't right now give you the minutes you deserve. Let's get you out on loan, get you those minutes, build your confidence to bring you back. And there are so many more opportunities out. There's more teams now for the females to play. And whether it is you go abroad, whether it is you stay in England, the opportunities are there. But then it's just whether or not the girls can take their opportunities to then get them back into that first team. That That's the tough challenge. Thank you very much to Leah Williamson and to Mel Phyllis. If you'd like to hear the interview with Mel in full, because it was longer than what you've just heard, uh, we will have it available wherever you get this show. We'll drop it in the feed. And I'll also point you once more to Seaman Says if you'd like to hear the full interview with Leah Williamson on that podcast. Um, Let's move on then to your scouting report, Tash. The Offside Rule with Lindsay Heeper and Natasha Dowie. Tasha's scouting report each week. Quite brief, you just need to give us some details about a player that's caught your eye, someone that potentially one day could be playing in WSL, but certainly is going to be an emerging talent on the world stage. So when we get to to European Championships and World Cups, we can say we heard it here first. Tash told us. So who have you got for show one? (laughs) Do you know what? You might recognise her name, but I actually think she's maybe not blown up as much as maybe people would have thought. So Julia Dragoni... So mm-hmm. she did feature in the World Cup this year with Italy, but she's 17 years old. She's a left midfield player. I've been following her a lot, having played in Italy. I've been watching a lot of her videos from Inter Milan, but she recently signed a two and a half year deal with Barcelona. So a huge move 
the first ever female from outside of Spain to train at Barcelona's esteemed La Masia Academy. So I spoke to a couple of my ex-teammates um, at AC Milan, said how she's doing on the international stage. They said she is going to be one for the future. She is a talent, really good dribble dribbler, good with the ball at her feet. She did feature in all of Italy's World Cup games, um, but they were saying that they feel like her style is suited to the Spanish league more than potentially England. But I do potentially see, you know, if she isn't getting as many minutes at Barcelona because it's tough to break into that team, will she get a move to the WSL? And I think if she does, her playing style would really suit cities. I was just going to say Man City. I'm so on the same level. Yeah, Yeah, she's like, she's so good with the ball, you know, getting into those pockets, half turn, the way she can penetrate with her dribbling. She almost reminds me a bit like a a kind of a Lauren Hemp, you know, with the way that she can do that, uh, a Lauren James. Um, so, but I also think United really could do with someone like her. I think probably City have the players. They don't necessarily need her. But I honestly think if I was Man United right now, who are probably struggling, you know, to make Champions League, she is someone that I'd have my eye on because she featured for Barcelona at the weekend in their 4-0 victory. She came on, got 30 minutes, got an assist. So she is getting minutes for Barcelona's first team. But what a player, 17 years old, and I can't wait to see, you know, how she develops. That's maybe one for us to watch then in the summer transfer window, similar as January's just closed. It's a shame we weren't on a few weeks ago. You could have been tipping off Mark Skinner and Gareth Taylor here. But anyway, (laughs) Giulia Dragoni, who's an Italian football player, now playing at Barcelona, one to watch for the future. The Offside Rule. Please leave us a review on your podcast app. Well, that is all we've got time for for this week. We will have the mailbox, though, coming out on Friday where we'll answer some of your questions. A reminder that if you hit follow and subscribe wherever you get your shows. Also, please tell any other women's football fans you know about us. The fact the offside rule is back every week. We'll be out every Tuesday um, covering lots of the pyramid as well as taking that dive abroad and into WSL as well. Um, Tash, thank you very much for this first one. Pleasure. Loved it. Cannot wait. Really looking forward to, to doing this on a weekly basis. Yeah, and I'm sure we're going to find our rhythm. We're trying to make sure that we pack as much in to a small um, downloadable size that you can do on your daily commute. What we didn't want to do is produce an hour show. So hopefully if we can keep it a bit shorter, everyone can make sure that they listen every week. And that mailbag feature out on Friday, do join us there. The Offside Rule. This is a Listening Dog Media production. Sports Social Podcast Network.